and we're standing here only because you made a way. Because the psalmist said, if you, Lord, were to take a record of our sins, who could stand? But we're standing here only because you made a way. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for pursuing us when we weren't pursuing you. No man understands and no one seeks after God. There is none righteous. No, not one. But Lord, you came after us. You came to seek and to save those who are lost. God, you love the world that you gave your son so that whosoever believes in him and what he accomplished on that cross to die in our place and to die for us, that whosoever believes in him will not perish. They will not have to pay for their sins. They will receive the gift of eternal life. Thank you for the gospel. That not only changes our eternal destination, but the power of this gospel changes us from the inside out. Thank you, Lord, again that we can stand in your presence. Now, Lord, speak to us through the word. We need a word. We need a word. And we thank you that you have a word. I'm so glad it's not up to me. So glad it's always up to you. You're the hero. You're the center of attention. You're the reason. Thank you for including us in your redemptive plan. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Be the one who not only delivers the word, but be the one who also teaches us the word and be the one who gives us the desire and the power to put the word into practice when we leave this place. May the word not fall on deaf ears. May the enemy not steal the seed that will be sown this morning. But Lord, our hearts are good soil. So would you produce through the seed of the word fruit some 30, 60, and even 100-fold. Do what we can't even imagine today through the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have your Bibles turned to Luke chapter 11 that we may pick up where we left off last week in a message entitled, When You Pray. And today we're doing part two because we couldn't finish last week, but God knew we needed the remainder of this prayer for us this week. If there has ever been a time to humble ourselves as a nation, as a church, as a people, if there's ever been a time to humble ourselves and pray the time is now. We've been given another opportunity to come together as a nation out of a tragedy. We've been given another opportunity to come together. We, we, we did it in 1963. I wasn't born then, but I love history and I also recognize that one of the reasons we can 
be here in the South in an integrated church is because many men and women braved some horrible things that we could be here today. 1963, Birmingham, also known as Bombingham, there was a march in that city where the civil rights leaders utilized children to dramatize the situation and to call attention to the segregation that was happening in Birmingham. And Bull Connor turned the fire hoses on the children and released the dogs. But this time, the world was watching because the news was there. And as what was happening in that southern city was filmed and sent throughout the rest of the country via satellite, the world, especially white America's heart, was broken for what they saw. So much so that the conscience of the nation was pricked. So that when Dr. King later that year, in this month of August, rallied the country together to pray in Washington, D.C., a multiracial crowd showed up because America was looking for a new day. America was looking to move on from hundreds of years of slavery and segregation. It was a day where Americans, young and old, black and white, rich and poor, listened to this Baptist preacher share his dream of what could happen if we came together at the table of brotherhood. Now that moment didn't last long, but at least that moment happened. Because later that year, a church would be bombed and little girls would be killed because whenever God is at work and he's touching lives and changing lives, the enemy is right on the heels trying to undo what God has done. And so we saw what can happen when the nation is broken. As we just sang brokenness, when we are broken over our sins. We saw it again on September 11th when thousands of people died uh, out of a different kind of terror. And those airplanes went into the World Trade Center and took down both buildings and I remember that period. Um, our church was in Franklin, and we were meeting on Ralston Lane, and we had a house where our offices were. And as I was coming into church, I believe the second plane had hit the tower, because I was watching at home. And I remember seeing, um, coming across the screen, they were encouraging people to go to houses of prayer to go and pray. So I wanted to be at church, our office. We didn't have a building, but I wanted to be there to pray with our staff and pray with anyone who something like this would drive them to God. And we did see a mini revival, if you will, where the nation came together, so much so that Republicans and Democrats put aside polarizing uh, political stances and prayed on the steps of the Senate and on the Capitol, our nation came together because Americans died that day. And we came together and we came before God asking him to give us strength and mercy to make it through that moment. And that revival did not last long either. Um, churches were full, people praying, but it did not last. But I'm at least glad that it happened as far as us coming together and coming to God. So we saw it happen in 1963. We saw it happen in 9-11. But forgive me for not sounding too optimistic about what's going on right now. Because I don't see black and white people coming together right now out of what we saw happen this weekend. That's not to discount this church and other churches around the country, 
who are breaking down those walls whereby racial reconciliation is not some little uh, object lesson. No, it's a way of life. Um, so I'm not discounting that, but I'm just talking about what I sense in my spirit on whether or not this nation has the brokenness that we can be humble enough to not only come together across racial lines, but to even break down these political barriers that we have set up in a way that I don't believe our founding fathers expected them to operate. Forgive me if I'm not as optimistic. Um, I believe we are in the final days where we will see the love of many waxing cold. Where these kinds of things don't jar us, they don't move us. And I'm sure there are many things that may add to that, the proliferation of violence in movies and video games. And, but I think things have just become so commonplace, but again, people's hearts are cold. But if there's ever been a time where we need Jesus to teach us how to pray, again, now is the time. Now is the time. Last week, we looked at Luke 11, and a couple things we walked away saying that this was not the Lord's Prayer. It's been called the Lord's Prayer, but it's not the Lord's Prayer because in this prayer, there's a confession of sin. And we know the Lord had no sin to confess. He was the sin bearer, not the sin confessor. That's us. That's you. That's me. He was teaching us how to pray. And we also said that this prayer was not a magic formula, but it was a model. It was a pattern to teach us how to pray. Namely, that we would, number one, acknowledge God. That we would enter into prayer to talk to God and acknowledge who he is. And then secondly, which we'll cover today, that we acknowledge what our needs are. But the reason why I believe Jesus laid this prayer out this way, which is similar, as we said last week, to how the Ten Commandments are laid out. The first four focus on God. The second six focus on how we treat our neighbor. Uh, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? There are over 600 laws. Well, Jesus said, let's simplify it. The greatest commandment is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Hang everything on that. And so this prayer encourages us to spend time acknowledging God and then to acknowledge what our needs are for ourselves and for our brothers. Because if we uh, don't pray that way, if we don't acknowledge God's name, if we don't acknowledge God's residence, that he's the father and he lives in heaven. In other words, he is eternal, he is vast, he is transcendent, he is other than anything or anyone we can ever know. That we acknowledge his name, we acknowledge his residence, we acknowledge his nature, that he's holy, that he's set apart, distinct, unique, that when we pray, we acknowledge that this king has a kingdom and his kingdom is coming, that he has a will. We pray that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What happens in heaven? Everything in heaven submits to him. Everything in heaven is broken before him, submitted to him. And so that's our prayer through the church, the people who know him, that his kingdom, his authority, his reign, his rule would come and that his will would be done through us as it is in heaven. And the reason why we want to acknowledge God's name, his residence, his nature, his kingdom, and his will first, again, not a formula, but we are encouraged that these should be things that should be included within our prayer life. Because typically we jump with part B first, which is give us this day our daily bread. And of course, the Lord wants us to talk to him about that. He knows what we have need of before we ask. But when we acknowledge him first and his residence, his authority, his will, his kingdom, my needs get put in a proper perspective, which is second. Because I'm called to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things, food, clothing, and raiment, and all the stuff I need will be added unto me. I'm not called to seek that stuff first and then try to add God. No, I seek God first and trust that he's going to add these things to me that I need. So we looked last week at when we pray, because Jesus said that in verse two, when you pray, say. Here's a model. Here's a pattern. Again, it's not a formula. It's not some rigid recipe, but he encourages us. When you pray, pray our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I'm going to have a heavenly gaze to help me deal with this hellish stuff I got to deal with down here. 
I'm going to set my mind and my affections on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And so when I have that kind of vision, it helps me deal with what's going on in the nasty here and now. So now I can go into verse 3. Give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? Well, when you pray, acknowledge God. But today when you pray, acknowledge your needs. Acknowledge your needs. That's simple enough, isn't it? Well, not so simple for some of us. Because it's hard for the rich, Jesus said, to enter into the kingdom. Because when you think you have everything, you don't feel like you need God. And we don't have to have a million dollars to be rich. Uh, globally speaking, everyone in this room is wealthy and rich. If you had running water and you had running water that could heat up and you had running water that could heat up in your house today, you're rich. You had ability to change clothes and pick out what you want to wear today, you're rich. If you could get in a car that had gas in it, if you have a car, if you have a house, if you leave a residence, go on and on. We're rich, we're wealthy. When a great portion of the world is living on less than a dollar a day. And so sometimes we can be so into our material things that we don't get into the spiritual God. Who is spirit. Which is why Jesus had to say, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Life consists in our relationship with God. So let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the rich man boast in his strength. But let the person who boasts, Jeremiah says, boast in the fact that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. But it's hard for us to do that when we have so many things we can depend on other than him. But Jesus said, when you pray, acknowledge you got needs. I have needs, you have needs. All of God's children have needs. Having needs reminds us that we are human. It's something when you see these millionaires these famous people, dealing with the same problems we deal with. They need the Lord. And maybe God will break them so they can see that their hope should not be placed in houses and in land, but in God. But he's also breaking me as well. But having needs reminds me that I'm human, and it reminds me that I'm not God. Because God doesn't need anything. Don't get it twisted. He loves you, but he don't need you. He didn't create us because he was lonely and he needed something to do. No, he created us to give glory to himself. He didn't need us. Elder Joe spoke of this a couple months ago when he got up. He talked about how God has these incommunicable attributes. There are certain things about him that are unique to him. He doesn't need an alarm clock. He doesn't need a cup of coffee. He doesn't need somebody to help him out. His arm is not too short that he can't say, but he's God. And so when I have a need, it reminds me that I'm not God, but my flesh wants to think that I am God. Because that's what Satan tempted Adam and Eve with, to be like God or to be God or to be independent and not have needs. So when I have a need, it humbles me to let me know that I'm not God. It lets me know that I need God. And I need to talk to God. And I got to ask God to help me out. So having needs makes us vulnerable and dependent. And because I know who my father is, it also makes me expectant. Because he's just not going to just look past my needs. He knows what I need. And he even knows many of my wants. But let's not get the wants and the needs confused. He'll take care of our needs. But I need you to notice something before I move on. Jesus could have said when the disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. He could have said, when you pray, say, my father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He could have said to them, give me or give me day by day my daily bread and forgive my sins and 
I will forgive everyone who is indebted to me, and I do, please do not lead me into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. He could have used a different pronoun. But we can miss this in a Western culture that is so individualistic, is so about us having Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. That Jesus says when you all pray, there's a power in corporate prayer, in communal prayer, in tribal prayer that many times is greater than when you pray by yourself. I'm going to say it for you one more time. Jesus could have used a personal pronoun in the singular, but he used pronouns in the plural because he wants us to see the importance of community prayer, of tribal prayer, and not just personal individualistic prayer. Pastor, what's the point? Well, the church was born in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, out of a corporate prayer meeting. I said they were together in one place. A corporate prayer meeting, Holy Ghost came and filled all of them that were in the house. In Acts chapter 4, when the disciples had just been persecuted by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they came back to the house and they had corporate prayer and they prayed for boldness. And the Bible says that the house shook when they prayed together. Now, I'm not saying God can't meet you when you pray by yourself. Please don't hear that. But most of us, we shy away from corporate prayer because we don't want to be interdependent. We don't want to depend on somebody else or somebody to depend on me because the call for community is a call to accountability. I don't want that. So I'm going to keep my relationship between me, myself, and I, and the Lord. But there's something that happens when we say, our father, not just my father. Our father means that I am related to you in humanity because we all have within us the image of God, whether you're saved or not. Because sometimes Christians can be bigoted towards unbelievers. Uh, I don't have time to even chase that one. But when I look at an unbeliever, whether that unbeliever is Hindu, Buddhist, Jewish, Catholic, athlete, cashier, whatever. We have something in common where our father created us in his image and we all have dignity and purpose. Whether that person is gay, straight, white, black, educated or not, if you're human, we have God in common. So he's just not my God, he's our God. And because our God introduced me to his son by grace, I'm saved by grace, that ought to motivate me to want to tell other people made in his image who are created but lost, how they can be found, how they can be forgiven, how they can be brought into a personal relationship with him that has corporate ramifications. Man, that ought to motivate me to share the love of Jesus because I'm just one beggar that found the bread of life. I'm just one thirsty person that found the living water. That ought to motivate me to talk to folk and love folk because God loves the world. He loves the world and the church should love the world. Even the world that doesn't line up with us politically. We should love the world. I can't love like that. You're right, that's why you gotta abide in me so you can love like that. Jesus had firm words for the Pharisees but he loved the Pharisees which is why he had firm, strict words for them. He just didn't bust them to bust them. He spoke the truth and love to them with hopes that they would repent. Our Father, give us day by day our daily bread. Why is this important? Acts 12, it was the church that prayed so that Peter could get out of prison. It just wasn't Peter praying. The church came together to pray. I heard in the Old Testament that one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put 10,000 to flight. I heard Jesus say, where two or three are gathered together in my name. 
Now, we know he's with you when you're by yourself. He, he's with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. But something happens corporately that doesn't happen by yourself. Something happens when two or three of us come together in his name. Jesus said, I'm with you. I'm right there. In other words, you're going to experience his presence and his power in a way that you just can't describe when you lock arms with a believer and you start praying. God says, I'm going to show up and I'm going to show out. And he says, when you pray, pray in my name. So when John the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray, we don't know exactly what he taught them. But one thing we know he didn't teach them, he didn't teach them how to pray in Jesus' name because he didn't know that. Jesus would tell his disciples later in John 16, when you pray, pray in my name. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do. What's the point about name? I'll tell you what, name is everything. Name is authority. Name is recognition. Name, name, name. It's like if I tried to mail a letter today. Before I mail the letter, I'm going to write the letter. And the key to the letter is the signature at the bottom when I put my name on it because my name is going to give representation and authority for what the letter is about so that when the person receives the letter and they see my name on it, hopefully my name has something to it that will affect the person that receives the letter. But not only is Jesus' name like signing a letter, that we're giving to God about our needs that he already knows because God enjoys the fellowship. God, Because God knows some of us wouldn't pray if we didn't have needs. He ain't going to spoil his children. He's going to let us struggle a little bit because he loves intimacy. He doesn't need it because he was all right with himself, like I said before, but he loves to be intimate with his creation. So when I talk to him, it's like giving him a letter. And when I give him the letter and I tell him what's going on, I then put a signature down at the bottom. It ain't my signature, but it's the name that he recognizes. That's the name of Jesus. That name causes my name, Chris, to be recognized. So when I talk to the father, I lay it out to him. And at the tag, I say, in Jesus' name. Then I wrap that request up and I stick it in an envelope. And I put the heaven's address on it, 777 Heaven Gold Boulevard. Now, I, I, I put that together and I mail it to God the Father. But before I mail it, I got to put a stamp on it. I can't put a foreign stamp on there. I can't put a stamp that's worth 10 cents when I know postage is 49 cents. So I got to put the right postage on the right letter that's got the right name. What's the right postage that gets my letter through? The name of Jesus. So when I talk to God the Father, I'm talking to him in a name that he recognizes. A name that gives me access. A name that gives me authority. A name that gives me the ability to talk to God. So Jesus is saying, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven. We went through that. But today, acknowledge your needs. Because when the church gets together next Sunday, if you're a guest, come back. Because next Sunday, we're going to be in huddle groups all over this church, touching and agreeing, praying for health. People who are sick, asking God to do a miracle of healing in their life. Praying for people who need employment. Oh God, would you provide? Praying for people who are lonely and want to be married. Praying for people who need or who want to have children. Praying for people who are in the adoption process. Praying for people who need a car. Praying for people that got some needs. We're going to be locking all over this place next week praying in the house of prayer. And may it never be said that Strong Tower doesn't have because Strong Tower doesn't ask. Oh no, we're asking. We're not so proud that we can't ask. The temptation says, I ain't too proud to beg. But no, no, we ain't got to beg because that's our papa. But I'm not too proud why I can't ask my papa. to Lord, can you provide that student minister that we need? You see the person right now. Manifest them, Lord, in your time. We're going to start fasting on Friday. We're going to fast on Saturday. We're going to come through and break that fast after church on Sunday. You can go out and get your barbecue, whatever you want after that, but we're going to sacrifice some flesh. We, we're going to say no to the flesh to focus on the spirit. Hear from God when we pray. Lord, we're touching and agreeing because I know there's some brothers and sisters in the body that got some pain. They're going through some tough stuff, Lord. We're bringing it to you as a body. And then just step back and wait. Watch him do it. He may not come when you want or how you want, but he's coming through. He's going to answer these prayers. Next week, be ready. Oh, be ready. 
So let's hit this thing real quick. Uh, Lord, when we pray, we're going to acknowledge our needs. The first need is provision. Give us day by day our daily bread. Give me my daily sustenance. It doesn't come from me. It comes from you. Uh, I know I got a paycheck from my job, but my boss and my employer aren't the ones who provide for me. You provide for me through them and allowing me to do work whereby I can get paid. Because if I couldn't do the work, I couldn't get paid. If you didn't give me the job, I couldn't get paid. If you are not the God who owns the hills and the cattle on a thousand hills, the silver and gold, I couldn't get in my hands what I need in order to serve you and to live in the earth well. So Lord, I know who my source is. I also know my resources and the channels that you work through, but don't get it twisted. My help comes from the Lord. Give us this day our daily bread. And this takes us back to the Old Testament when the Israelites were walking through the wilderness for 40 years in the desert. They had to rely on God every day to rain manna down from heaven. Give us this day our daily bread as a community. We saw Jesus feed a community of people in John chapter 6 and other portions of the Gospels where he fed thousands of people at one time. He gave them the daily bread that they needed to eat for their physical man. But then he turned around and said, but if you eat this bread, you're going to die. But if you eat this bread, I am the bread of life that has come down from heaven. You eat this bread, you'll live forever. There was a purpose in the provision. But God says, I'm the one that's going to provide for you. So as a collective, we pray, give us what we need today as a country, oh God. Give us what we need today as a church, God. Give my family what we need today as a family, God. If you don't give it, it won't get done. And then, Lord, now let me focus on me. Give me what I need. I moved out of our bread. Now I need some bread. Lord, I need some money bread. Lord, I need some bread. Lord, I need a job. I need a job. And I know you want me to work because that's the will that you have for men and women to work if they're able to work. Lord, I got skills. I got abilities. And until I get a job, my job is to find a job. I'm looking for a job. But God, I need a job. Give me this day my daily bread. Lord, I need a car. I need transportation so I can get to my work, so I can get to church and be there on time. Lord, would you provide for me? I need housing, God. I, I, I know you take care of the birds. I, I know you take care of foxes. They got holes. Lord, I need a home. And I like to have a home that ain't got holes in the wall. Lord, would you provide? You are Jehovah Jireh. But not only that, Lord, would you provide me a word? Because man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Lord, give me a word while I'm waiting on my job. Give me a word while I'm waiting on my transportation. Give me a word while I'm waiting on my housing. Give me a word. And he'll give you a word because those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. If we're not filled, it's not God's fault, it's ours. We can't say God isn't talking if our Bible is closed. No, God is talking. Open up your Bible. And this is where the personal is good. Just don't come to get a corporate word from pastor. God says, I want you to get a personal word with me alone. Because I can teach you some stuff that Pastor Chris can't teach you. You got to give me a chance. Open up that book. Get into your own prayer clause. Yes, corporate prayer is powerful. But don't forget individual prayer. Don't forget individual time in the word. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I got to move on. Verse 4. Jesus says, and when you pray, you got to pray, forgive us our sin. To forgive simply means to release. To let somebody off the hook. Somebody that, you know, they're on the hook for a payment. And when you forgive them, you release them from the debt or from the hook that they're on. They're released from the penalty of the payment. So that's what forgiveness is. When God forgives us, he releases us from the debt that we owe him, which is eternal damnation. He punishes us rightly for our sins because he's a just God. But he releases the debt because somebody else came in and paid the debt for us. 
somebody else whose life was perfect, who satisfied his righteous indignation towards sin. Jesus was the one who came as our substitutionary atonement, who took our place so that we could be released from the penalty and uh, the power and even the presence of sin. Forgiveness. So corporately, Lord, would we forgive like you? Would we release people who've sinned against us? Matter of fact, God, when I pray for forgiveness, I'm going to pray a national prayer like Nehemiah prayed. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Nehemiah, what did you do? You went to captivity because of somebody else's sins. But you know what? I'm part of that community, so I'm confessing our sins. Daniel, he confessed the sins of his people. Daniel, what did you do to send the people into captivity? You're a righteous man. Well, I'm confessing our communal sins as the Israelites. Second Chronicles 7.14. We love to quote it, but we don't like to apply it. If my people who are called by my name, and we as Americans, we like to think we're a Christian nation. Okay, well, hold on. Because the Jews were in captivity when they prayed this prayer. When God told them, when they were in uh, Babylon for 70 years, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, then will I forgive sins, then will I heal the land. We want to have a healed land without turning from wickedness. And ain't no way you can turn from wickedness if you don't name the wickedness you got to turn from. Oh, do I have a minute? I got to say it. Proverbs 28 verse 13 says that when you confess and forsake your sins, you'll find mercy. But the person who tries to cover over them will not prosper. Beth Moore, I love her. She jumped online yesterday and said, we cannot renounce what we will not name. It's called white supremacy. And it's from hell. Thank God for a woman of God who's willing to speak up when most white men behind pulpits won't speak up about these kinds of sins. God gonna always have a witness. God gonna always have a voice. Come on, white pastor brothers. Dr. King was rebuking y'all in 1963 in the letter from a Birmingham jail, saying that the greatest sin or the greatest opposition is not people wearing hoods coming against us. They're doing what they're supposed to do. The greatest opposition are the people who have no desire to step into this and the ones who preach against us for stepping into it, the ones who have this neutrality, which is really doing nothing. These white ministers who are not involved, who can squash this thing if they got into this thing, but they just keep sitting back. Dr. King says, you're more trouble to me than the KKK will ever be. My white brothers will talk about everything, abortion, homosexuality, and that stuff needs to be dealt with in the proper tone. That stuff needs to be dealt with. But come on, man, let's deal with the sins, the historical sins of racism as well. Because if you're not talking about it, the people you shepherd won't talk about it. If you won't bring it up and repent of it, the people we lead won't bring it up and talk about it. I refuse to be an ostrich preacher. What's an ostrich preacher? When trouble arises, I put my head in the ground thinking that what's chasing me won't see me because I don't see it. Put my head in the ground. My behind just sticking up, but my head in the ground. We think that if we don't talk about it, it'll go away. The reason why it hasn't gone away is because we won't talk about it. And I know I'm preaching to the choir. I know I'm preaching to the choir. But man, something is missing today. We got to call it out. Alt-right, white supremacist, neo-Nazism is sinful, wrong, and immoral. And if the church won't call it out, or a leader that the church elected won't call it out, then we got to call it out. No matter who's in the White House, we're going to call out what's right and what's wrong. I don't care if it's Obama, Bush, Clinton, whomever. The church can't be bought. The church shouldn't ride the backs of donkeys or elephants. No, 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 no. We're not going to sell our soul. And I love being black, but my blackness is not my primary identity. 
My primary identity is being born again. And who's my brother? Who's my neighbor? So forgive us as a nation for being passive. Forgive us as a nation for trying to cover over stuff or minimizing what went down in centuries past. Forgive us as a nation, oh God, for being angry but sinning in our anger. Lord, forgive us as a nation. Forgive me for my sins. I confess my sins. But not only that, Lord, you want me to forgive others the way that you have forgiven me. I'll close right here. I ain't going to be able to make it. But he says, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So God forgave me my debt, so I should turn around and forgive other people their debt. This is where it gets hard. We love to be forgiven, but we don't always like to extend forgiveness. But that's what being a Christian is all about. Because I've been forgiven this great debt, and I should go out and forgive people that owe me a little bit. But instead, like the guy Jesus talked about, I choke people who owe me respect. I choke you when you owe me honor. I choke you when you owe me an apology. But check it out. People don't owe me nothing. You don't owe me an apology. You don't owe me respect. You don't owe me honor. And even if you do owe me money, you don't even owe me money. If anything, I owe you. What do I owe you? I owe you to love you. Amen. So I'm going to release you. Yeah. Oh, pastor, that, oh, pastor, that's that stuff. Yes, that Jesus stuff, ain't it? <laughs> Who am I to hold a grudge against someone when God doesn't hold a grudge against me? Amen. How can I not release my family, my wife? How can I not release the white police officer who offended and spoke and called my daughter a nigger? How, I got to release him because if I don't release him, if I don't forgive him, I'll bind myself up. I'll lock myself up. If I don't release this person that hurt me, I don't have a right to hurt him back. I, no, I relinquish my rights. I'm a slave of the Lord. I forgive you, even if you never ask for forgiveness. Because if I don't forgive you, again, I'm messing myself up. I'm locked up. I'm in prison. But I'm not going to be in prison over something minuscule when the Lord does set me free from so much junk. Do you know you can never confess every sin? You can't confess every sin that you commit. We sin when we're at our best moments. I'm sinning in the pulpit right now. I'm filled with the Spirit. I'm enjoying the Lord, but I'm sinning even while I'm doing something right. Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7.20, there's not a man on the face of the earth who does good and doesn't sin. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, I find a principle that when I would do good, evil is present with me. So even in my best moments, I'm a mess. But guess what Jesus did? He know I can't confess every time I have pride. Every time I roll my eyes. Every time I look at that woman's behind. I can't confess every sin. That's why he blankets me with forgiveness. He covers me with forgiveness. Because he know I ain't going to confess everything. So he covers me with forgiveness. And the people you do life with, they not going to confess everything to you, but you got to blanket them with mercy. You got to blanket them with forgiveness. Who do I think I am that you got to come to me and confess something to me? You don't owe me. You're not indebted to me. No, 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 no. The Lord forgave me my debt. No man is indebted to me. I'm indebted to you to love you well. Holy Ghost, help me do that because that's when I find real freedom. So when I see this stuff going on, Lord, I forgive the man that drove that car into that group of people and killed that person and hurt those other people. Pastor Chris, that didn't affect you. Well, there's a communal thing going on because when he hurt my neighbor, he hurt me. When one part of the body suffers, everybody suffers. When I see that stuff, it hurts my soul. 
But so that bitterness doesn't grow. Lord, I forgive that person, Lord. I release that person, Lord. Who am I to be so angry with this person? I don't want to look at their face. Lord, I release them. Lord, I pray you send somebody to them to talk to them about the true gospel, that they can hear the love of Jesus, that they can be set free, that they can repent of their sins. That's Christian stuff. Oh, my God. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who are indebted towards us. And then he says, uh, and do not lead us into temptation because I, I need to be led in the right way. I'm a sheep. I walk eating food, eating grass right over the cliff. But you got to lead me whereby I don't hurt myself out here. I'll hurt myself, God. You've got to protect me from myself. Lead us as a community and lead me as an individual away from temptation and destruction. And then Jesus says, and when we close this prayer, you also got to pray, but deliver us from the evil one. So before I talk about deliver me from the evil one, deliver us as a nation from the evil one. The evil one is real. The devil is real. And he's out to kill, steal, destroy, divide, and conquer. So when I look at these things in the natural, I can't focus on the natural because everything that's seen is not eternal. The stuff that is not seen is eternal. So I got to turn over to Ephesians 6 and say, but I don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I don't wrestle against those things. I wrestle against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. I'm fighting a devil. I'm fighting a demon. I'm fighting somebody that's coming against this nation. We are fighting against somebody coming against this nation. And the school system can't win that fight. The police department can't win that fight. The government can't win that fight. Guess who can win it? God's righteous army. The army of light. We're supposed to be the ones. And so when the church got together on Saturday night in Charlottesville, they didn't even know that the races were forming outside on the campus of UVA. But they're in that church praying and strategizing for the rally the next day because they would rather be salt in the world than the salt in the shaker inside the church not doing nothing. I tell you what, if I lived there, I'd be right out there with them people. But let me just stop and put a caveat right here. They got into all that stuff over moving a, a statue of a, of a general that lost and who supported white supremacy. That statue belongs in a museum. Because if you're not going to put statues up of other people who supported the cause of freedom, don't you dare just have a statue up of somebody who took freedom away from people. So take it down. But caveat. The stuff is something when it's way over there. Let's go to Franklin, Tennessee. And our legislature had the guts to say, we're gonna take down that soldier that's in the middle of the square because he doesn't represent who we are as a people at this stage going forward. We're gonna remove the statue of the soldier right there. Boy, I tell you what, God's people would lose their mind. They would go crazy, they would fight, they would march, and we might see some people outside with tiki torches from uh, 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 Home Depot. You ain't taking down our monuments. Wait a minute. I thought our identity was first in Christ. You always tell me that when I start talking about stuff black folk go through. You remind me that you are in Christ. I'm in Christ, but he ain't forgot my blackness. But being in Christ is first. And being in Christ should be first more than being Southern. And, and let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. Oh, oh. Your freedom to display the Confederate monument offends the weaker brother. I'm the weaker brother, take it down, do the loving thing. Then all of a sudden, I tell you what, you ain't gonna see them take it down without a fight. Because we're messing with stuff that's been entrenched. We're messing with generational sins. And we wonder why we're still divided and still fighting. I saw pictures that looked like 1960 up in here. What happened? I thought there was no racism. It just evolved. Covert racism went underground until someone came and created a climate to make it popular for covert racism to emerge again. But that church was praying. 
and the haters and the racists were outside. Lord, deliver us from evil. And the Lord delivered them from evil. Lord, deliver me from the evil one who wants to put strongholds on my life, who wants to send a spirit of fear against me, spirit of lies. Lord, deliver me. I can't fight him in my own strength, but I can fight him in your name. Deliver me. This is real praying as a nation and praying as individuals. Man, I think I lost y'all when I talked about Franklin. Come on back. Don't go nowhere. Y'all got scared. That's what happened. Y'all like, wait a minute now, Pastor. That's good in Charlottesville, what they're doing, and what they're doing in New Orleans, taking down the monuments. But you know Franklin and parts of Davidson County? That dude, Nathan Forrest, that's on 65. That's our history. No, that's your history. Put your history in a museum. Pastor, stay away from that kind of preaching. Well, because we stayed away from this kind of preaching, that kind of stuff kept going on in the world. Jesus be a fence all around. When I'm not watching, I know you watch. Protect me, Lord. Well, Jesus teaches us that when we pray, we should acknowledge God and we should acknowledge our needs. We should pray for our needs, both corporately and personally. So this week, let's pray together. Let's pray personally. Not only about the events unfolding in our nation, but also about what God is doing in our lives and what he's doing in our communal life as a church. Lord, teach us to pray. Baraka, would you come and close us in prayer? Everyone, would you stand, please? Adults who have teenagers, we're going to be up at the White House. If you have children in the nursery, grab them. We're going to let you out at 1 o'clock, I promise. We're going to let you out. We're going to get it over, let you, let you hear what's going on. There are some refreshments up there. Um, so yes, join us at the White House to hear what's going on in student ministry. Thanks for letting me preach, y'all. Thanks for letting me preach. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. And pray for the families, the woman who died. Pray for the man who allegedly killed her. Pray for people who are in hospitals. Pray for Charlottesville. Pray for our nation. Help me become optimistic. Help me believe that what we're seeing, we're better than that. Help me believe, hold my arms up in prayer that the church will rally together and stop being afraid of each other. Help me. 